Hey everyone, welcome to Millennial Mental Health Channel, where a psychiatrist and a therapist discuss mental health. Each episode will look at a different topic, things like anxiety, depression, and personality disorders. We'll share our thoughts and experiences on the topic, show people that they should not feel ashamed to have mental health problems, and encourage them to speak up when they need help. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoy. Here at Millennial Mental Health Channel, Justin and I care a lot about your mental health. That's why we use our platform to teach about the mental health world and ways you can improve your own personal life. Self-care routines can make huge improvements on your overall well-being, but sticking to that routine can be tough. We give so much of our time to others in day-to-day life, and we rarely do anything for ourselves. It can be so hard to be consistent with living a healthy lifestyle, and when we can't be consistent, the shame and the guilt can be so bad that it prevents us from getting back to our routine. But a great way to stay motivated and on track is through an accountability partner. But again, that could be pretty hard. Friends and family make good partners, but they still can make it hard to be consistent. For me, Ed, actually my dog is my accountability partner. If she doesn't get exercise, she is bouncing off the walls. So we work out together about five times a week. And the research really does suggest that having an accountability partner increases the success rate of meeting your goals. And that's where Supporty comes in. Supporty is an app that helps you find an accountability partner all through the comfort and ease of your smartphone. And yes, contrary to what your parents have been telling you, smartphones <laughs> can be used to improve your health. This app asks what your what goals are and breaks those goals down into daily measurable actions. These goals can be anything from developing a self-care routine to improving your physical health. From here, your daily actions of things like reading for an hour each day or taking a 30-minute walk after work come into play. Whatever your goal is, Supporty can help you reach it. Supporty matches you with a buddy for one week at a time. This way you can opt for a new buddy at the end of the week or choose a new goal. Your daily actions towards your goal are tracked, and then a notification is sent to you and your buddy when you get it done. It's mutual, so you give and receive encouragement from your buddy. Their successes are your successes too. Not sure how to hold someone else accountable? The app creators have a great way to teach you how to be a great partner. Your first match is a three-day training with a super buddy who leads by example and leads the way. The great people from Supporty have been generous enough to offer a special deal to our listeners. Download Supporty from the Apple App Store or Google Play Store, and that's support spelled with an I, and choose Millennial Mental Health Channel when you create your account to start your two-week free trial. Check the show notes, the MMHC Twitter page, and our personal social media accounts for more details on how to find a link to download Supporty today. Supporty, the accountability partner app. And now, back to our show. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Millennial Mental Health Channel. I'm Eddie Carrillo, here with my good friend, Dr. Justin Romano. Uh, Today, we'll be covering the topic of schizophrenia. We'll be talking about uh, diagnoses, myths, facts, everything in between. I know Justin's really excited about this topic. I'm excited to learn from him and teach you guys a little something. So we're, we're excited for today. Yeah, as is traditional, we like to do a little bit of shout outs. Um, I, I know this is a little bit cheesy, but I wanted to give my mom a shout out. Why not? We had a great conversation over the weekend um, and she listened to the, the caregiver episode and uh, she just felt so deeply for Lucinda and she said oh she just sounds like she's gone through so much and so I really appreciate all the feedback my mom's given us and she's been a great listener I promise not all of our downloads is her just clicking play (laughs) but I'm sure a decent amount of them are so mom thank you you're amazing I mean I'll I'll take some credit for the downloads too (laughs) because I'll I'll hit play a few times just to run the numbers up but uh, speaking of numbers uh, I'll give a shout out to everybody who's listened Um, we just got the the milestone email today Uh, we just broke 4,500 downloads Um, thank you guys so much I mean again we we didn't know where this would be and to hit 4,500 downloads is is a big surprise and milestone for us so thank you guys so much for listening Um, as is normal for us we're going to go ahead and start with story time but I wanted to take my time that I was given to to tell a story just to kind of acknowledge everything that's still going on today, um, just with the pandemic, with the, the racial injustices in our country. Uh, this has been a very difficult time for a lot of people, and I want to remind everyone that it's okay to not feel okay. Um, to my knowledge and from my experience, um, no one that I know has had any type of training on how to live or continue their lives during a global pandemic or during this time of, of racial unjust. So I want you guys to not be so hard on yourselves. I think it's it's totally normal and, and 
it's something that a lot of people are experiencing where they just get so down on themselves where they don't feel motivated to work out or to read or not motivated at work. A lot of people are feeling checked. I, from for one, am feeling checked out a lot of the time. It just it's just a hard time to to try to try to live right now. So I want to kind of normalize that for everyone and let you guys know, like, it's okay to not feel okay. Right now, the biggest thing you can do is try to take things a day at a time and give your best effort each day and and be good with that. I mean, we don't have to be perfect right now and we never have to be perfect. But I think especially right now, I want to remind you all, you know, don't don't feel the need to be perfect and to and to, to be your normal self because right now is not normal times. Uh, Justin and I are here for you guys. You know, your supports are here for you. Try to connect with your sports as much as you can. Um, and I think above all else right now, please wear a damn mask. <laughs> yeah. And Ed, thanks for, thanks for just repeating that. And sometimes we all need a little bit of a reminder. Um, I know that I, um, a lot of my patients coming in uh, to my outpatient clinic, almost all of them have said, well, it's just a crazy time right now. My depression's yep. worse. My anxiety is yeah. worse. And I think one thing, since you brought up kind of the, the racial injustice going on in this country right now, a short personal story is um, I was watching the interview with Stephen Colbert and Jon Stewart, and Jon Stewart explained how uh, for the GI Bill that a lot of African Americans were specifically left out of that. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was a kid, my mom told me that both my grandparents went to college on the GI Bill, and without that we wouldn't be in the situation where we are. So, I mean, mm -hmm. if you look at things throughout history, um, you know, African-Americans in this country have just been specifically targeted to be left out mm -hmm. of these big opportunities that so many people have benefited from. And you can see how it's been incredibly hard to build wealth. And so, you know, we, we always have to think about those systemic racism problems. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. For my story, um, this isn't about a patient necessarily, but I wanted to give a little anecdote of um, I was out in my yard one day and my neighbor came up to me and uh, she's a very nice lady. If she ever happens to listen to this episode, I very much respect <laughs> you. Um, and she asked, hey, what did you do today? And I said I was in a civil commitment hearing. So I uh, testified in court to get someone um uh, pretty much stuck in the hospital so they would be forced to get treatment for their mental health mm -hmm. and her initial reaction was hey those guys must get pretty violent huh and i thought that was very very telling of kind of the public's reaction to mental health yeah. um and so i explained it to her i was like actually this was a female um who was more of a danger to herself uh because um Essentially, what had happened was she had a bad injury to her wrist, and she was very paranoid and delusional and thought the doctors were a part of this government conspiracy trying to uh, trying to get her committed, essentially. Yeah. And so she left the hospital and didn't get a surgery that she really needed on her wrist. Um, so that's why we committed her to try and get her in the psych hospital to deal with her mental health. But yeah, I think that reaction of like, oh, those guys must be pretty violent says a lot. Yeah. Um, and so we really wanted to explain for a long time. I've wanted to do an episode on schizophrenia because I really enjoy working with this population and people mm -hmm. with schizophrenia are, are they're some of the funnest people to work with just because they have such a unique insight and, and unique perspective. Um, so let's just go ahead and jump on into some facts and yeah. epidemiology. So start us off, Ed. Yeah. So uh, one of the first facts we want to let you guys, you know, give all you guys is that uh, approximately 1% of the population in industrialized co countries has schizophrenia. So that's, uh, that's a number that kind of compares to other mental health disorders and uh it's something that it kind of just shows that schizophrenia is something that um is out there and it's not just this this thing that's so rare that that no one ever sees yeah usually for males the average age of onset is about 20 years old it's about 25 for females mm -hmm. we think that there's a slightly protective effect of estrogen so actually there's a, a a bimodal curve for females so they they tend to have their first uh the, the first big wave at 25 for females but after mm -hmm. menopause when your estrogen levels go down there's actually another wave of schizophrenia that peaks in women mm -hmm. uh, the typical story that you get w with schizophrenia is like 
a young man goes off to college and then all of a sudden starts spending a ton of time in his room. He's isolating himself, starts doing things that are maybe a little bit odd. Um, a lot of times people with schizophrenia, they, they think that people are really persecuting them, oftentimes even going as far as like spitting on them, following them, spying them, taking over all of their online accounts um, and that general paranoia. And usually what ends up happening is they do something that gets them attention and medical evaluation. So sometimes this could be something as benign as like asking for help Um like because they think people are following them so they'll go to you know a counselor or something and say help me help me please this this person won't stop following me they're tormenting me and the counselor realizes that maybe something's a little bit off and then they send them for medical evaluation mm -hmm. um I've even had really tragic stories of, of people being so tormented by their delusions that they try and commit suicide mm -hmm. and then they end up in the hospital and that was the first time I saw them. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had a client who he is 18 going on 19 and, and that was kind of, he kind of hit the, the, the story that you shared where he just he started isolating a little more, started uh, just acting odd, a little different than what people were used to. His mom would say things like, you know, he, I'll be in the kitchen and he'll be in the living room and he'll tell me to stop talking to him or stop talking about him. And I, I haven't talked to him in 20 minutes. And, um, the big, mm. the big red flag that I saw was he told me that, um, they keep spying on him and they don't give him any privacy. And I was like, well, who's they like, who are you talking about? And he named these two people. I was like, you know, I've known you for two years now and I've never heard these names before. Who are these people? Uh, and he tried to explain like, oh, they're, you know, uh, an ex-girlfriend and her friend and they keep mm -hmm. spying on me. And even when I go to the bathroom, like I don't have any privacy. And at this point, I was like, oh, man, like we need to we need to get some higher evaluation on him because this is looking to be um, some early symptoms of schizophrenia. So um, kind of like what we talk about with a lot of disorders, um, people with, who get schizophrenia usually do have a genetic predisposition to it um, and some environmental factors that contribute to it. Uh, when I do intake assessments and I hear, you know, I ask about history of mental health disorders and I hear, you know, oh, um, great grandpa Joe had schizophrenia or my uncle has mm -hmm. schizophrenia, you know, you start to really try to piece that together. Like, okay, like this is something, you know, we might need to look out for down the line. You know, I'm like, this kid's only 14, but might be something we want to look at, you know, while their, their care starts. Um, so like a lot of the things we talk about, this is nature and nurture. So science has identified, you know, dozens of genes that contribute to to getting schizophrenia. Uh, but there's not one gene that they can really say like, this is the one that does it. Um, there's just, you know, a bunch that may contribute to it. Yeah. One of the really cool or interesting things I find about schizophrenia is that your ACE score, so those adverse childhood events, so really hard things that you go through when you're a kid, trauma, abuse, yeah. neglect, yeah. those things. If you have a higher ACE score, the more likely you are to get schizophrenia. So that's yeah. that in one of those things in the environment or um, nurture category. Mm -hmm. So if you go through really big, stressful events, you're more likely to get that and i think that's really telling yeah yeah and i think that the, the trauma piece is a piece that i still think you know we're still lacking on you know from different um different places like we're not putting enough um stock into how much trauma affects somebody and will will play out in their life as they continue to, to grow up you know we look at trauma as like well you experienced this and you actually turned out okay so you know you should be fine but i have a client who you know just recently transferred where he hasn't he's been through a lot of traumatic experiences his ace score is pretty high um mm -hmm. and we haven't you know, I talked about a lot of the trauma just because where he's at in his treatment. And I had to kind of give him that psycho ed of when I told him, you know, I want you to start talking about this and getting some help for it. He's kind of like, well, I'm doing fine. I think I'll be okay. But it's like, you know, you just don't realize like how much that trauma can play into, you know, your adult life, your young adult life. You know, he's 16 now, but it's like, who's to say when he's 20, 21, 22, you know, something might happen so or might not happen. So uh, that trauma piece is so big that we, we sometimes um, different agencies, different like schools, you know, sometimes don't put enough stock into it. Um, mm -hmm. but 
going into symptoms of schizophrenia, when looking at it, um, it's important that we call these psychotic symptoms, um, but many different things can cause psychosis. So there's things like, you know, meth, substance use. That can be, it can be uh, what I've seen a bunch is uh, substance-induced psychosis. We had a, mm-hmm. uh, a teenager a few years back, I think right before I started on my current job, where he smoked weed for the first time. And that induce kind of like a psychotic episode and it was it was so scary for him and his family like they didn't know what happened what to do and it's you know first time smoking weed you don't expect that to happen but substances can induce um, psychosis they can um, just same thing too much hallucinogens a tumor um, all these different things can cause psychosis uh, but that does not mean that they have schizophrenia it's just referring to the psychosis that it can cause yeah, so in order to make the dose diagnosis of schizophrenia, you have to have the psychotic symptoms, which we're going to go over in just a second, for mm-hmm. six straight months. And, and without that, without those psychotic symptoms being caused by like a general medical condition, we mentioned tumors, thyroid issues can cause it, um, and without it being uh, caused by other drugs. Yeah, and then uh, you can also see people who are on meth. Um, it looks like they have schizophrenia. If you um, see, like sometimes you'll if you're walking in like a bigger city and and you see someone who's who's homeless and looks like they're on some type of substance, uh, it looks like they can be they can have schizophrenia. Uh, but when they get some sleep and they kind of get the drugs out of the system, they detox. They they get some food in them. They get some you know the uh, what people refer to sometimes as like three hots in a cot. So it's like three hot meals, they get some sleep, they can kind of detox <laughs> through it. And then you kind of see that the psychosis goes away. Um, although you can, you can have psychotic symptoms for up to a year after uh, meth use. This is called, you know, like I said earlier, substance induced psychosis. Um, but yeah, you can kind of see how that, especially meth, like using that can, can cause like such um, significant and negative effects. I've actually never heard that. The three hots in a cot. That's really? <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. And it's, you it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. I, I do have to say it, it might fit more with like the juvenile detention population and the prison population. But I've heard it referred to, we've kind of used that too with, uh, with substance use residential treatment. But yeah, the three hots in a cot, uh, get your meals, get your sleep, get your bed. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. honestly, we, we see a lot of people in the inpatient psych unit who the police find and they're acting like they have schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. So the police bring them into the psych hospital. And then in about one or two days after, you know, they about three meals and some good sleep, yep. um, then they start acting more like themselves and they're like, why am I here? It's like, well, cause it l- really did look like you were pretty psychotic. Yeah. Um, we, and when we talk about psychosis, similar to with bipolar, where there's kind of a social view of what that means. So psychosis or being psychotic, it doesn't mean mad or upset. Yeah. And I, I want to tell a story about a nurse I was talking to in the hospital and she had every right to say what she said, but I had a young man who was, uh, there was nothing technically wrong with him from a psychiatric standpoint. He just really didn't want to be in the hospital, but because he had just had a suicide attempt, we were keeping him there. Yeah. So he was ripping things apart. He was punching doors. He was going, he was going uh, ape on the room. Mm-hmm. And the nurse says, "Like, isn't that psychotic? How is how's that not psychotic?" And I was like, "Well, he doesn't have any of these symptoms of psychosis, which are hallucinations." Hallucinations are a big one. It's usually auditory in people with schizophrenia. Um, visual hallucinations are pretty rare in someone with uh, with uh, schizophrenia. The auditory voices that the people hear or hallucinations that they hear typically are voices and that are very negative. They're really derogatory. Mm-hmm. Um, a really cool thing, if you want to go onto YouTube and type in like auditory hallucination simulator, it's a pretty interesting thing to listen to and it and it makes you realize how miserable it would be to have to listen to that all day every day yeah yeah. another symptom of uh, psychosis is delusions we've talked a lot about these ones and a delusion is a fixed false belief Um, and sometimes they can be really bizarre in schizophrenia so i've heard like the FBI put a microchip microchip in me to track me. The Mm -hmm. TV is talking to me specifically, telling me to do things. And sometimes the delusions are there to justify the auditory hallucinations. 
and I, I know we've talked about it in the past, but when on those auditory hallucinations, their auditory cortex in their brain is actually lighting up. So their mm-hmm. brain is physically perceiving voices. And sometimes people will say like, oh, I work for the military and I have a, uh, a earpiece, um, kind of like a spy earpiece that allows me to talk to my team. So that's a delusion to justify those hallucinations that they're having. Um, I've also heard of, uh, you know, oftentimes the stereotypical thing is like people putting foil up all over their, yeah. their walls. Mm. And I've actually seen somebody do that before. Mm. And he put it up all the foil on his walls because he was trying to prevent a cult, uh, from Omaha or in the, the town of Omaha from communicating with him. And he thought that the aluminum would block their signal. The third um, symptom I want to talk about is disorganized speech. Uh, this is a very interesting uh, symptom of schizophrenia to where sometimes you're talking to people and you just have no clue. It's really, really hard to follow what they're trying to tell you. Um, one example I like to give is um, I had a patient who said, oh, I was talking to that nurse earlier. What was her name? uh coconut cream and it's like there are, and i was like i you know i don't know if there's any nurses named coconut cream i'll check for you yeah but in her mind she was saying something that totally made sense, made sense. but yeah. to someone yeah. listening it just was it was random and off yeah. the wall um and sometimes people can have disorganized behaviors as well. And that's like doing odd things similar to like putting up the foil, yelling at the pavement. I've seen a lot of people do, especially in Seattle where I used to live. Um, I've also seen people like make their own sensors and try and like get energy levels. So they're like walking around with cardboard cutouts, like trying to get readings. And so just doing really odd things. That's a part of that disorganized behavior. And then the last symptom that we'll talk about is negative symptoms. So all the other ones are, you know, the hallucinations, delusions, disorganized speech. They're all positive, almost like you gain those symptoms, but negative symptoms are are different to where they're they're things that are taken away from you. So people with schizophrenia tend to have a lot of anhedonia. They don't really enjoy doing anything. They've got a lot of avolition. They don't have any drive to get up and do anything, and they have a very flat affect. Mm -hmm. So when you talk to them, their voices tend to be really flat because that is a part of their disease. Mm-hmm. So those are, yeah. those are the symptoms that we, that we want to talk about. So someone yelling and screaming is not psychotic. You have to have a series of those symptoms to be considered uh, psychotic. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the difference between positive and, and negative symptoms. I know that like it's kind of um, confusing because you, you think positive, like this is something good. And it's kind of like uh, I remember, you know, in, in psych class uh, in college and learning about uh, positive and negative reinforcement and having to have that kind of positive means you gain, negative means you lose. Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing I wanted to add to the, the hallucinations part um, especially when working primarily with teenagers, from my experience, um, I'll get teenagers who will say that they're like hearing voices or they're hearing things in their head. And when I ask them about it, it's I always try to you know differentiate: is this do you hear yourself? Like, is is the voice yourself telling you something negative, or is this um, is this voice telling you like you're worthless or you should die or things like that? You should hurt yourself. Is that like negative self talk? Or is, or the voices like someone in your past from like a traumatic experience, or is it, you know, the, um, some negative, um, person in your life that did something bad to you that traumatized you? Is that, is that the voice that you're hearing? And what I do with that is I'm trying to distinguish, is this, um, kind of like those symptoms of depression where you're, you're feeling suicidal and it's the negative self-talk or is it the trauma? Are we looking at something like PTSD because of something you've experienced and that's what you're hearing. And that's the big, um, differentiation for me is that if it's if I ask about your hallucinations you're telling me like oh it's a voice that I don't know or it's it's some like angry man that I've never met before then we start to look at like oh okay this might be um, some early signs of psychosis or schizophrenia so just trying to uh, distinguish those those differences to make a um, the accurate diagnosis when working with kids and doing the assessments yeah Um, that's a very good point sometimes it's a very nuanced exam to try and figure mm -hmm. out 
you know, some people, especially people with like intellectual disabilities and they don't really have a lot of great insight. They'll say like, I'm hearing voices all the time. And then when you really tease it out, it's, it's their own voice. It's them Mm -hmm. talking to themselves. It's their their conscience and it's not necessarily a hallucination. So that's, that's a big part of what psychiatry does is, is trying to figure out what is what, what is real. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, yeah, we've had um, kids who are like uh, with developmental disabilities, same thing, you know, just um, distinguishing is, is this their developmental disability or is this actually um, early onset, you know, psychosis or, or schizophrenia? Uh, mm-hmm. But moving into a little more of the facts that we have for you all, um, people with schizophrenia are actually two to three times more likely to die earlier. Uh, this is usually from cardiovascular problems. Um, lots of factors come into play here, but um, a lot of the medications um, that they may be taking that may be really, really helpful for them um, can cause weight gain. Uh, the negative symptom of, what was it, evolution or Evolution. Evolution. There it is. (laughs) Uh, That prevents patients from exercising. Uh, People with schizophrenia tend to be in lower socioeconomic statuses because of their their mental health prevents them from from keeping a job. So their diets are not as good. Lots of processed foods. Uh, They tend to smoke more cigarettes. So there's things that kind of come up because of their schizophrenia that a lot of people don't think about. Yeah. And what we know about schizophrenia, and we don't have like a a for sure answer of what causes it. And the interesting thing about schizophrenia is that we call it a heterogeneous disorder. So Mm -hmm. hetero meaning different, ogenous meaning of origin. So a lot of different things cause it. So we see that these symptoms all look similar in these people, but a lot of people could have a completely different cause of what's causing similar symptoms. That's why it's called heterogeneous. And, And what we think right now is that dopamine levels in your brain are off. It's too high in some areas and too low in some areas. And so people tend to smoke a lot more cigarettes because it releases more dopamine in the parts of the brain that have low dopamine. So it makes you feel really normal. Mm -hmm. Like it it raises those dopamine levels to somewhat of a normal level. So the smoking thing is it's a big problem in, in people with schizophrenia. Yeah. Yeah, another uh, statistic that we have that's a little more on the negative side is that uh, worldwide, about 69% of people with schizophrenia are not receiving adequate adequate care. Uh, and like I'll kind of touch on here in a little bit about the, the types of treatment you can get. Uh, it's just with, with some of those more severe and persistent mental health disorders, it just feels like there's not adequate care and it, the, the adequate care is really only there for people who have the means or have the money or have the, uh, they live in the right area that has that kind of resources available to them. So it's really unfortunate. People with schizophrenia um, have to kind of sometimes deal with uh, not being able to get the, the care that they need and deserve. And then that can kind of lead to, to negative, um, negative effects and not really having the best um, outlook on how their, their condition is going to continue. Yeah. And unfortunately, with schizophrenia, they weren't always the best treated group of people in the world. I am a big believer in you have to know your past in order to figure out where you want to go. And psychiatry wasn't great. Uh, We really did a lot of really terrible things to people with schizophrenia, especially back in the 50s and 60s. You go back even further to like European times. for centuries, a lot of people with schizophrenia and psychosis were just chained up and left in houses. Mm. Um, and a lot of them would die unless someone would come and give them food out of the kindness of their heart. Um, uh, you know, you look back at the 50s and 60s, we did a lot of electroconvulsion therapy, yeah. which nowadays, I know we've talked about this, is a pretty benign thing. It's not that bad, but in the 50s and 60s, they would do it without anesthesia and it would get pretty brutal. They would also um, induce insulin seizures. Because we found that the seizures help release certain neurochemicals in the brain that can treat schizophrenia. So there was actually like a decent treatment. But what they would do is they would give people insulin and cause hypoglycemia. So low blood sugar to the point where they would even have a seizure because of it. And so I think you look, uh, you know, the the movie, A Beautiful Mind, which is always kind of the the main um, Hollywood portrayal of schizophrenia. I think he was receiving insulin seizures. 
uh, John Nash Jr. So yeah. we, we as a profession need to understand that we did some bad things in the past and maybe mm-hmm. we need to fix those moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And this is kind of like a, a plug for a, uh, another podcast that I listened to a while back that kind of, it's an audio drama, so it's not factual at all. It's just a, it's a drama. And honestly, I kind of compare it to a Netflix TV series, but just as a podcast, it's called the control group. And it's actually set in the 1960s, uh, in a psychiatric hospital where they do a lot of like the, um, ECT and all those kind of like what now seem kind of sketchy treatments. And it's, I, I think you bring up a good point, Justin. It's um, we can't move forward unless we kind of acknowledge what has kind of happened in the past, what we've learned from it. You know, a lot of people will kind of to go on a tangent, but a lot of people will look at like the Stanford prison experiment and they'll be like, Oh, well, there was so much wrong with it. It wasn't ethical. You know, the, it's not, uh, we can't do it again. It's not, a, uh, it's not a good study. It wasn't a good experiment, this and that, but it's, you know, you take those things that we learned from a while back and kind of, use it to today's context and use it in today's world and try to see like where it fits. And then that way we can keep kind of moving forward with our profession and our field with the mental health field. Mm-hmm. But um, enough of the, the tangent and on my soapbox <laughs> for a little no, bit. That was good. That was good. <laughs> uh, moving forward a little more with stats that we got uh, in a 2011 paper in the schizophrenia bulletin, uh, they showed that people with schizophrenia were actually 14 times more likely to be the victim of a violent crime than the perpetrator. So uh, a lot of people, um, kind of like you brought up earlier, Justin, with like, oh, isn't that psychotic behavior? Isn't this violent behavior psychotic? Or the the neighbor, you know, oh, they're they're pretty violent, aren't they? Like, the, there's actually uh, stats that show the opposite. They're they're more likely to be uh, the victim of it than than to actually be the perpetrator. Um, mm-hmm. And while people do with schizophrenia do, yeah, and and people with schizophrenia do, you know, have a slightly elevated risk of committing crimes. Uh, slightly higher risk of committing crimes in the general population. But um, we've found that the elevated risk is due to, to substance use. And we've talked about it a lot here on the show where substance use really does have negative effects on people. Um, when you are in addiction, you're deep in it and you're trying to, to get the drugs, you're trying to get that high again, you're trying to um, get your means so that you can get your high, you know, people with substance use um, tend to commit crimes out of necessity, you know, they either steal, um, or they get withdrawal sickness. So they're trying to uh, get high again, so they're not feeling sick. Uh, And then in a movie that I watched, uh, like a a documentary when I was in grad school, kind of about meth use and how this young lady and her boyfriend were, you know, they didn't have a, a whole lot of history with meth but they'd become so addicted to it and they called it chasing the forbidden dragon where they're trying to get Mm. the same high that they got the first time but just biologically it's just never going to happen again but because they're addicted because they got to keep trying to get high again and again hoping to get that same first high uh, has a lot of negative effects on them and has a lot of long-lasting impact yeah and i know that it's hard to justify stealing but i mean if i were in a position where it was either steal something and try to to sell it and make a little bit of money to buy drugs or getting violently sick i would probably steal something so it sucks that a lot of times people have to revert to that or resort to that i should say Mm -hmm. but i mean it really is out of necessity so having a little bit of empathy is i think can help um yeah in terms of medically treating schizophrenia a lot of our antipsychotic medications that we use target that dopamine. So similar to what I was talking about earlier. So they block the dopamine from being able to act at those receptors. Um, and it's an interesting story because you know, we really didn't have uh, any sort of treatment for schizophrenia until the 1950s uh, when Thorazine came out. That was the first one. I mean, up until that point, I mean, people just had to deal with their symptoms yeah. for years and years. And that was the first time that anything had come out that helped at all. So, you know, it's just since the 1950s, we've come a very long way. Um, and, and so it's it's really cool to see how far we have come. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's cool history. Yeah. Um, in terms of other ways that we treat schizophrenia, it's, it's a, it's an approach that, you know, we use, uh, medication, but we also want to use therapy. 
Um, the biggest focus of therapy with working with someone with schizophrenia is trying to help the client or the patient um, better manage their symptoms, whether it's noticing warning signs in their environment so that they can avoid triggering um, like a psychotic episode or learning more about their symptoms so they can kind of feel empowered about it and feel like they can manage and handle them better. Um, therapy allows an individual with schizophrenia to kind of be able to work through it um, and work through what they're experiencing with their diagnosis. Because with this diagnosis of, of schizophrenia, I mean, societally, it it's not, there's a lot of negative stigma attached to it. A lot of people hear the word schizophrenia and just think all sorts of negative things. Oh man, this person must be crazy. This guy's, this, this person, you know, who knows what they can do. And it's trying to, trying to help these individuals be able to uh, kind of work through the negative emotions that they probably feel with the diagnosis and, and how they're, how they're being treated. And then they can work through that in treatment. Um, and the other parts of treatment also include things like skills training that's focused on improving communication and social interactions. Um, there's also social support, like finding a job, uh, finding housing. Um, we have one of those programs here in the county I work for, where it's like the early uh, intervention team for, for psychosis. So there's also things like they have like an occupational therapist. They have um, the therapist that does like their mental health uh, therapy, the individual therapy, family therapy, you know, trying to help them um, get those social supports that they need. And then there's the, the family education part you know this psychoeducation is huge because it helps to normalize what is going on for the family and for the client and it helps them get up to speed on you know what to expect because when you get that for a lot of people when they get that schizophrenia diagnosis it's like a whole big like i don't know what's going to happen i've only heard mm -hmm. about it i've seen things on tv i don't know what to expect so to it's do scary. that education exactly it's super scary for a lot of people so the education is, is huge um and research actually shows that people with schizophrenia who have a strong support system, uh, they actually do better than those without the encouragement of their friends and family. So that family education piece is huge and, and can have such a long lasting positive impact for, for an individual who does get the schizophrenia diagnosis. Yeah, that's a, a huge point is that people, the people who do well with schizophrenia are the ones who have a lot of support, a lot of help from family and friends, mm -hmm. um, which unfortunately not everyone gets uh, yeah. and a lot of people uh, have to just kind of deal with it on their own. And a big problem from the medical side is that, you know, there's a big trial that was done called the Katie trial. And it showed that like 70% of people who take antipsychotic medications uh, with schizophrenia will stop taking them. Mm. And a big part of that is people don't think that they have schizophrenia. They don't think that they have any problems. And, and honestly, some of the medication side effects are rough. You know, they make the negative side effects worse. And so they, a lot of people stop taking their medications and, you know, that's tough. So that building that insight and that therapy side of trying to help them understand their condition and understand what the medications will help them with is a really important part. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I know we have a few kind of questions that we wanted to hit on today and kind of discuss while we, we wrap up today's episode. But um, Justin, I want to ask, what do you think? Um, why do you think people in society fear those with schizophrenia? You know, that's a great question. I think people tend to fear what they don't really understand. Yeah. So that's partly why we wanted to put out this episode. Not that this is going to reach the all of America, but the more you understand something, the less you tend to fear it. Yeah. Um, I like to compare it with sharks cause I'm like a huge shark week nerd. Um, <laughs> but humans kill millions of sharks every year. But if there's one shark attack on a human, the media gives it a ton of attention and it makes people really fear sharks and fear sharks, even though it's really disproportionate. We are way more likely to hurt them, especially with our mass fishing, than they ever are to hurt us. Yeah. So it's that perception. It's not the reality, but it's that perception of fear that is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the other thing that I was thinking about too, is like in our, our pop culture, I mean, we look at movies um, where the character has schizophrenia and they tend to be characters who are violent or they're in a mental hospital. I, I always think back to uh, they're in a mental hospital where they're strapped up. They have like the, the straight jacket mm -hmm. and they're in a room with, you know, mattresses on the wall and everything. So that's kind of, if that's what, you know, pop culture is putting out of, you know, of course people are going to have that, that negative perception of, of someone that has schizophrenia. 
Yeah. And, you know, for the record, we don't use straight jackets anymore, typically in, in mental yeah. health. Things have really come a long way. We, yeah. we, we tend to not as sometimes if people are really losing it, we might have to, you know, um, strap down wrists or something so that people don't hurt themselves. But mm-hmm. typically we don't just strap people up anymore for no reason. We don't just give people a bunch of drugs for no reason. There, there are systems in place to try and make sure that people maintain their autonomy as much as possible. Yeah, no, I think that's huge. I think that's exactly just kind of what we said earlier. It's, it's acknowledging what has happened in the past, but also striving to kind of make those improvements moving forward. Yeah. What do you think about like mass shootings, Ed? Because I know that every time there's a mass shooting, <laughs> there's always stuff on Facebook popping up like, oh, always. we need to give more funding to mental health. Like, yeah. what do you think about that? And if does it help? Does it hurt? What, what's your thoughts? Well, one, I think that kind of energy needs to be kept all the time. I mean, more money needs to be put into mental health. That just straight up across the board. I mean, I know there's there's different states. And Oregon was having, um, I can't even remember what the act was, but they were having like a, a grant coming into to schools in Oregon where they can pay uh, licensed me- mental health professionals to be in school and be at the school instead of just, you know, having one school psychologist who's super busy with all their, you know, IEPs, their individualized education plans or doing all this stuff for, for kids with developmental disabilities, having, you know, licensed mental health professionals in school. Um, So I know that's kind of a movement that that's going and getting, gaining some speed, but I think that energy of, you know, funding mental health needs to happen all the time. needs to be like that all the time. And it it sucks that every time there's something like a mass shooting or a school shooting or a threat, it it always goes back to um, mental health. And it's always looked at in such a negative light. I just, I don't know. I think for me, it's frustrating because it, it, mental health feels like it only gets talked about in a negative way and never in a good way, never in like, uh, Oh, look at, you know, look at the, the positive changes we've seen when we added a therapist to our school staff mm-hmm. or, or look at the, uh, you know, I've seen studies and, and news, news reports of, uh, the schools that took away detention and, and did yoga instead, you know, how much better that was for kids, you know, uh, mental health only gets talked about in a negative light. It feels like, and I think that, that's what needs to stop. But I think the energy of let's fund more mental health, let's get more funding for mental health, that needs to stay, but that needs to stay consistently because it is something that's needed. Yeah. And it's mental health and funding for mental health is one of those things that if you put money into it up front as a society, it saves so much on the back end because so many people in this country have to rely on emergency rooms for their mental Mm -hmm. health. And, And so those mental or those emergency room visits are insanely expensive or so much more expensive than if they just had a regular provider that they could see, but because they don't have insurance, they're going to the only place that will see them. And that's the emergency room. So if, if we were more proactive about funding for mental health, then we could potentially save a lot of money and, you know, I think our, our episode with Isaiah on race in America, which Isaiah did a fantastic job, by the way. Yes, I love that agreed. kid. Oh, yeah. um, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, funding uh, for mental health and, and the police, uh, how the police, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, defunding the, the police, which um, I think that cops have too much responsibility. Mm-hmm. They are tasked with doing so many things that they're not necessarily trained to do. I know the city of Denver have has made it a priority to try and train psychologists uh, and social workers to go out with the police on those mental health type calls. Uh, and their rates of violence against those people and and, uh, and police aggression are a lot lower. Mm-hmm. So we got to, as a society, figure out a way to help these people and not police these people because mm-hmm. the system that we have is failing them. It's not necessarily their fault. Uh, just blame the politicians. That's what I say. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's an easy I... answer to say, blame the politicians. <laughs> I will, I will second that. <laughs> um, I want to ask you, Justin, kind of as like, as the psychiatrist, as the, um, the, uh, a big piece in treatment for schizophrenia, um, why do you think adherence rates are so low among people with schizophrenia as far as like treatment and, and following through with that? That is a great question. I know we talked a little bit about sometimes the patients lack that insight 
uh, into their diagnosis. So they don't think they have anything wrong with them. Um, you know, dopamine in your brain feels good. It's, you know, kind of a feel good chemical. And I think a lot of people with schizophrenia, they have dopamine in the areas that can help them feel good. And our medications knock them right back down. So they might not feel like themselves. You know, a lot of people say when they're on antipsychotics, I felt like a zombie. I felt kind of zombified. Yes, it helps with controlling the symptoms, with with helping control the hallucinations and the delusions and the disorganized speech. That's what we're targeting, but, but it can make you feel not great. So that's why it's really important to work with your doctor and try and find a medication that doesn't make you feel like garbage, but still helps you get back up to a functional level. Um, and I think there is so much stigma in society. A lot of times the psychiatrists walk into the room at a hospital and they say, you're with psychiatry, get out of here. I'm not crazy. Um, which there's a lot to unpack with just that statement. Um, mental health is so much more than just treating people with psychosis. Um, but that's, that's the stigma. People don't want to have these things. People don't want to admit that they have these diagnoses. Uh, and I think of uh, the general coping strategy in America for any stress is to just ignore it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. in, in our society, we tell people got a problem, stuff it down deep until you can't take it anymore. And then you explode. Yeah. We don't teach people how to deal with stress. We don't teach people how to deal with hardship. And, you know, we used to do that through arts, but that seems to just get taken more and more out of school funding. So it's, it's just a really tough position to be in for these people who, who don't feel like they have any options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I think you bring up a lot of great points. I think it's, there's so many contributing factors to it. No, I think, yeah, 100%. I concur. <laughs> yeah. Any, any additional thoughts on that? Yeah. Do yeah. You, I think you mentioned a really good article that you were read, right? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd seen that. Uh, I kind of the, the other question that we were wanting to cover today was um, seeing people with schizophrenia, schizophrenia living, living productive lives. Um, and 100% that's possible. 100% that's a thing that we, we can see. Um, I was reading this article on, uh, it's called uh, Living with Schizophrenia, which is a great title for it. Uh, mm-hmm. But it talked about how there's a study in 2005 where um, this doctor, the psychologist and his colleagues, they followed patients over 15 years. And they found that about 40% experienced at least periods of considerable recovery, where um, they measured that by the absence of significant symptoms, as well as the capacity to work, engage in social activities, and live outside a hospital for more than a year, for a year or more. So it's definitely something that that can happen. Definitely something that that is possible. But it, but it's just hard when um, you know the adherence is lower. It's hard when the resources are lacking, or when when they don't have the right. Um, the right mindset for it. Like you said, your, your, your example of, you know, you walk into a patient's room and say, Oh, you're from psychiatry. Like, get out of here. Leave me alone. You know, not really understanding what all comes mm-hmm. with their diagnosis. Yeah. And, and understanding that psychiatrists tend to want to help. Um, I think there is still just a, a stigma against a psychiatrist and that, Oh, they're just trying to get me stuck in the hospital and put me yeah. on a pill, bunch of pills. I don't want to be on. Yeah. It's not uh, the case at all. (laughs) Yeah, we just, we want, my cheesy answer for why I went into psychiatry is it seems like a lot of medicine is focused on just stopping people from dying and psychiatry is an area that's focused on helping people live. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's one of the coolest things about it is that we get to see people thrive and do well. Uh, What I've heard with schizophrenia is it's like a a rule of thirds, like a third of people do really well, very high functioning. A third of people need a little bit of support. And then another third of people need a lot of support. So Mm -hmm. we can get that higher of the, the people who, who can do, who do very well, but I think we just need more support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it kind of, like you said, I mean, we've talked about it before we're in this field. It's our job to care, but it's our job because we care. So it's, it's something that's, that's important to us, you know, well-being of people who, who are struggling, who sometimes may be at their, at their lowest point, at their rock bottom. It's important for us to care. And it's important to us that we, we help you as much as possible. Um, 
kind of how we close out a lot of shows. We like to give you guys some some names of famous people who struggle with some of these disorders we talk about. Um, a lot of the time, we'll come up with a list, and I'll know at least some of them. Um, Justin came up with a great list, and I don't think I know any of them. So I, I might let you, Justin, handle this one because I, I don't want to be so unfamiliar with someone that I just don't even know what I'm talking about. But um, Fair enough. You know, and I try and find every excuse I can to mention Selena Gomez. But to, as far as I know, she has not been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Good. Good. Um, but some famous people, especially some famous historical figures like Zelda Fitzgerald. Um, so F. Scott Fitzgerald's wife, the author, uh, she uh, was uh, diagnosed or had symptoms of schizophrenia. The John Nash Jr., so the guy from A Beautiful Mind, he was a real person and he did win the Nobel Prize. Um, Edward Einstein, so Albert Einstein's son, he actually oh, wow. got diagnosed with uh, schizophrenia. Peter Green, uh, one of the guitarists for Fleetwood Mac, so one of my favorite rock bands. Um, uh, he apparently has been diagnosed. Lionel Aldrich was a football player uh, and won three championships with the Packers back in the 60s. Uh, I always like giving a wide range of, of different career paths. So we got you know authors, musicians, athletes. You know, this shouldn't this doesn't have to hold you back. I mean, you can still be at the top of your game, even though you have, you know, this uh, mental health problem. Jack Kerouac, the author who kind of uh, inspired the beat movement and pretty much uh, gave birth to the hippies um, as a, a, a person who comes from a long line of hippies. Uh, lots of aunts and uncles of mine were hippies. Like that's kind of cool. I, I think it's cool that the person, who started a very free thinking move movement was someone who had schizophrenia. Mary Todd Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's wife. Um, she lived so long ago uh, that it's, it's kind of hard to know exactly what was going on with her, but a lot of historians think that she did have schizophrenia. We've only really been calling schizophrenia by that name since the 1920s. Uh, schizo meaning split and phrenia meaning mind. So it means split mind disorder if you break down the name. Um, but before that, we called it dementia precox. So if you ever see the words dementia precox or precox, um, that's kind of like the precursor, what we used to call schizophrenia. Yeah. Um, and then a couple of really cool figures. And if you're interested in this, go on to TED and look up some TED Talks. Ellen Sachs, E-L-Y-N space, S-A-K-S. Um, she's a professor at USC for law and psychology. She does an excellent TED Talk. She's been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, very inspiring person, very brilliant person. Um, and at the top of her game in academia, which I find very cool. Another good TED Talk um, is by Cecilia Mago. I believe I'm pronouncing that right, but it could be Magoo. It could be McGuff. Um it's M-C-G-O-U-G-H. Uh, she does another really good TED Talk about her journey with schizophrenia. So um, people with schizophrenia can absolutely be successful. They can absolutely be at the top of their game. Um, they might need a little extra help. They might need a little assistance with medication. Um, but they are people, and and they are not necessarily violent. We have a lot of things that we need to break in terms of the stigma and the, the thoughts about what people with schizophrenia, who they actually are. Yeah. Agreed. Um, well, thank you guys for listening, for making it to this part of the show. Um, that's all the information we have for you guys. Uh, as always, please remember to, to like, share, subscribe to our show, share it with your friends, share it with your coworkers, share it with whoever you think might enjoy listening to it. Uh, go ahead and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star review. Um, I've seen the numbers slowly get getting higher and higher, so that's been really cool to watch. Um, again, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we truly appreciate all the support. Um, we also have our Twitter, at uh, MillennialMHC. Uh, let us know on any of our social medias if you have any any questions, anything you guys want to hear on the show. We're always all up for it. But as always, thank you guys. Um, anything from you, Justin? Well, just to quote the great Marshawn Lynch, the philosopher <laughs> of our time, take care of y'all mentals, guys. Stay safe out there. One more thing before we go. If you're having any thoughts of harming yourself or harming others, please reach out for help. 
call 911, go to the emergency room, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Thanks for listening.